0: Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. On today's episode, we're going back to school to learn about the science of well-being. <laughs> That's right, Jillian and I got accepted to Yale.
1: We're Yaleys we Bulldogs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not really. We actually just took a free course on Coursera called The Science of Well-Being. That is taught by Lori Santos. It's free to anybody, and you don't have to go to Yale to do it. Yale comes to you in the privacy (laughs) and comfort of your own home. But before we dive into if that course works at all, and if we're happier having taken it, let's check in with what's making us feel cozy during quarantine. Jillian, what's making you feel cozy during quarantine?
1: So... I love how old TV shows are reuniting for good causes. Like Parks and Rec did this uh, reunion special. It aired, I believe, last Friday. So this is skipping ahead. So I don't know the exact, exact date, but they want to raise money for those affected by the coronavirus. And it was just so sweet. That's the, probably the best way I could describe it. I didn't watch Parks and Rec when it was on, ironically, um, but I came to love it and watched, I watched all the episodes at once. And so there's this writer, Jen Chaney from Vulture, and she summed it up pretty well, probably better than I could. And she said that all the shout outs that the special did didn't feel like pandering so much as gifts from the team that worked on the series and wanted to do something nice for the people who love and miss it. And that really summed it up. They had the Little Sebastian tribute song, the Cones of Dunshire reference. And so it was just really cute. And I thought it was well done. And then I heard Happy Endings is doing a reunion special. So that's going to be really cool. I love that show with Casey Wilson. So looking forward to all that good stuff.
0: It's a happy ending, they could say. Or you <laughs> oh, could yeah. say.
1: I guess I could say. I remember <laughs> in, a, in a past episode, I couldn't recall what the show's name was. And I and I love this show. And I know that... Um, our, our friend Dave, he said that he was listening to the episode. And he was just dying because he I, he wa- he's he screaming "Happy endings, happy endings, happy endings." As I just struggled to figure recall the show's name, but now I know. So <laughs> look forward for that special.
0: I love also that you refer to them as old TV shows that just went <laughs> off the air like a few years ago.
1: <laughs> back in back in my heyday, like,
0: I'm thinking I love Lucy, even Cheers, but.
1: Well, I think Parks and Rec ended, what, in 2017, so it's not... I guess it's only a few years. It's ancient. But, I mean, time feels like it's moving so slowly, so it does feel as if it was forever ago. Really? But I, I feel like
0: time is moving so fast. I'm like, I can't believe that it's been six weeks since this all started.
1: It's moving slowly and so quickly at the same time, and I read an article that the reason why it feels like time swimming is so fast is because we're doing the same damn thing over and over and over and over again. (laughs) And that is true. I, I, there's no, there's no differentiation in my day, but it does feel slow in the sense where the minutes move by slowly (laughs) because you are doing the same damn thing. So it's this weird paradox. Um, and also if I'm, I'm rambling, I'm in a, I have no electricity right now. I am in a very hot, stuffy room, so I'm doing my best.
0: And the cats are running around. <laughs>
1: and the cats are running around. There, some Transformer exploded, so I don't know what the heck's going on. So
0: Was it Optimus Prime?
1: <laughs> and, of course, there's fights about it on Nextdoor already. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> What are they arguing about?
1: Oh, well, one guy said, Hey, any updates when the power is going to come back on? And I wish I could recall the exact phrase this <laughs> perspective person who responded said but like this is not just some pandy namby problem there are trees that were on fire things went on fire sorry it's you know (laughs) you can't do your electricity
0: (laughs) (laughs) your precious electricity
1: (laughs) well sir all the things in my fridge are melting i'm melting so i told you to
0: (laughs) eat something different than ice cream but you insisted on only buying ice cream and this is
1: what you get my pandy namby ice cream wherever (laughs) it was
0: Isn't it <laughs> Nambi Pambi?
1: Probably, <laughs> but I don't know. So people are raging it's a on the pandemic. It's a pandemic,
0: <laughs> Nambi Pambi.
1: <laughs> so yeah, Parks and Rec, happy endings, Pandy Nambi, Bambi, whatever.
0: <laughs> well, um, when you have your power back, I have a show you should watch. Um, And it's called Dress Up Gang on TBS. And it's what's making me feel cozy this week during quarantine. Dress Up Gang was co-created by Rob Boardman, Donnie Devanian, and Corey Lokasic, And they are a group of friends who genuinely love each other. And they made a show about a group of friends who love (laughs) each other, their roommates uh, and neighbors. And they just have very calm and gentle adventures. It's a little surreal and that's where the humor comes from, but it's very kind humor, it's very gentle. It's, mm-hmm. There's nothing mean-spirited about the show whatsoever. And I find it really taps into like more of like how relationships used to feel when you were a child and then kind of like presupposes like what if life was still like that as an adult? And in many ways it is. For example, they do a a new look day is is part of an episode where each person in the group gets to try on a new look at a house party. Like someone might tr- be trying out a cowboy hat. Andy McDowell's in the show as herself randomly as another part of the surreal element. And she'll just like, she came on trying a, a diamond necklace and they give her honest feedback. If, if she pulled off the diamond necklace or not, you have to watch the episode to find out if Andy McDowell pulled off the necklace, but that's about as like hei- heightened uh, stakes as it gets is <laughs> like, I tried out a new hat. Like does my, do my friends like it?
1: It is very sweet.
0: And I think what's really fascinating about this show is they made it back in 2017. They actually sold this whole, like, this whole process started in 2014, 2015. It took a year between the pilot and the series getting picked up. Then they made the whole series, the whole first season. And then, you know how those like mergers happen, companies change hands. They decided it doesn't have a home anymore, no one will buy it. And it just was sitting on a shelf for years. They eventually put the episodes up online, which is how I watched it the first time, and fell in love with it. And these comedians are just very, very funny, kind people. I think Hollywood's starving for content, and so TBS was like, actually, we will air that. And so they threw up the entire show onto TBS. You can watch it all online right now. So if you have TBS or cable, um, check out Dress Up Gang. It's a really, really cozy show. I think it's the epitome of cozy comedy.
1: Yeah. I think you described it best when you said it's calm and gentle, which is really obviously needed right now. And it's that I, I've seen a few clips and there's one clip I think you sent to me where they're checking out houses around town and the cute yeah. houses <laughs> and everyone can relate to, that, especially as I was about to say, I'm a a a window peeper but that sounds really bad but when you go around and look at cute houses and imagine yourself living there and they did kind of a little parody on that it was really cute
0: yeah exactly they asked for a tour and then one guy who doesn't feel like his clothes are cute but they are but he does can't accept that has like a therapy session to understand that he's cute too and that, (laughs) that is that is like the epitome of of the the sense of humor yeah um it's really unique and i it's worth checking out dress up gang on tbs can't say it enough Good wreck. <laughs> All right, Jillian. Are you feeling happy enough to discuss our main topic?
1: I'm using the strategies I learned in this course to get through, not through this recording, but to get through. <laughs> Things are getting
0: through it for us.
1: <laughs> yeah. <the>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Jillian told me about this class. I, I found out about it from you, and it looked really interesting this, this idea of a class that you can take to learn how to be happier. So this course is, again, from Yale. It's taught by Lori Santos. And it's called The Science of Wellbeing. And it's being offered on Coursera for free if you just sign up. And you can take the whole thing yourself. It's a 10-week course altogether. And Lori also has a podcast called The Happiness Lab. How did you find out about it, Julian?
1: I saw an article um, saying that they're making the course free during the pandemic, because obviously everyone needs a little more happiness. And so I looked into it and I thought it'd be kind of cool to explore on our show just because, you know, coziness is so intertwined with happiness. The the that's they always talked about happiness being correlated to coziness. And I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. think that you have to be happy to obviously feel feel coziness when in, in times of stress, you can... Cozy up with your favorite book and whatnot. And maybe you're not feeling happy and elated in that moment. So I'm not, I don't necessarily think that they have to coexist all the time. Right. Uh, but it's definitely, I think, of the foundation of coziness.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's true, definitely after taking this course, realizing that so many of the things that we do to help us feel cozy or really self care, I guess is another way of putting it, are keys to being happy. And what I appreciate about this class is it, it takes a scientific lens on that. So it's not what people feel is making them happier. It's what studies are actually proving makes people happier.
1: Yeah, and that's what I enjoyed most about the course is that you know, we've talked about on this podcast. We did a whole episode dedicated to meditation, but you can just tell someone, "Yeah, hey, meditate. That'll make you happy." But what's the statistics behind the effects of meditation on feeling happy and um that's what was so interesting about this course. They provided graphics really easy to digest studies and stats, and they made it tangible. And that's what I noticed was different from other readings I've done on the science of happiness. So Lori broke it down really well. And for those who are nervous about a 10-week course, it it's not really, I would say, a 10-week course. Of course, if you want to take your time and go through it, then it, you could stretch it out. But um, you could digest those readings and lectures pretty quickly. All their lectures are vi- videotaped, and that was nice as well. I liked watching the lectures, and they have s- actually Yale students listening to Lori, and Lori does the course in real time, which is cool.
0: Yeah, and you can appreciate a bunch of Yale jokes, a lot of Yale-specific <laughs> yucks. <Yes>. Um.
1: <laughs> well, I, I realized that I watch way too much Gilmore Girls because <laughs> I was like, oh, they're, so they're kind of like like me you know saying like <laughs> saying like too much or I, I no no pinkies in the air i was like what am i imagining yale students to be like i guess all from gilmore girls but i don't know
0: oh <laughs> welcome to yale is that, is that what you imagined
1: <laughs> well oh, i want to
0: be happier <laughs> well apparently this is the m- most popular course at yale which makes sense because yale is a pretty depressing place i would imagine Um, I'm kidding. I have no basis for that. Can I get pitchforks
1: out at us? The bulldogs will be nipping at our heels.
0: (laughs) Like any good course, they do a diagnostic first where you measure your initial happiness and your initial character strengths with the idea that after you take the class, you revisit those tests to see if the strategies you're using are making a difference. They ask you to take any one of a couple of happiness um, inventories. There's a perma profiler. Uh, the one I took was the authentic happiness inventory. Which one did you take, Julian?
1: Uh, I actually took both just to see if there's any
0: Wow, big double difference. dip in.:
1: Oh yeah, double dip in.: Was there a big uh, difference? Not really, to be honest. And so that may feel better because I always worry that I'm not answering these surveys to the best of my ability because I I find it really hard to gauge on a scale (laughs) just because there's a point difference doesn't seem that big of a difference, but it kind of is. So I always get anxious taking those scale type quizzes. So that made me feel better that they were pretty close together.
0: Yeah, also, it's the kind of survey that asks you the same thing over and over again. Yes. And I do get a little bit in my own head at that point, because I'm thinking not about my authentic answer, but trying to keep my answers consistent. So if I had mm-hmm. one complaint about that test, it's like, I can see you're trying to be, you're trying to make this data more consistent and accurate by asking me the same questions multiple times to get a baseline. But what I'm feeling is like I'm in a lab. <laughs> so yeah. You know, and I'm and I'm overthinking it. And that point, I wonder if it loses some authenticity. I we took that. So you take that as for your initial happiness score, and then you also, I think, more interestingly, take um, a signature strengths inventory. I I thought the results for my strength inventory were really accurate. My top three strengths um, were reported to be judgment, honesty, and fairness. What were your top three strengths, Julian?
1: Mine were humor, social intelligence, and curiosity. See, those seem
0: accurate to me. I think, I don't know. I've I've What I also like, too, is they were very um, adamant about reminding you that you have all the strengths. It's not like you're lacking anything. It's just trying to pair you with what is your strongest strengths. So thinking about how you can lean into those to do things that make you happy.
1: Yeah, and I knew mine were fairly accurate based on what my bottom 5 were and my yeah, my same. least yeah, my my lowest strength was self-regulation <laughs> and that seemed pretty accurate that was my so, third
0: to bottom my my absolute bottom was spirituality
1: yeah it seemed like all the bottom 5 for me s- similar to you it just it, it made sense so i was like okay then my top my top 5 makes sense but you know you hear this you know multiple times that leaning into your strengths is important, but seeing it outlined in specifically and taking a test is more helpful to have them crystallized because we think we know what our strengths are, or we want to know, or we have specific ideas what we want our strengths to be, but this test pretty much lays it out there for you. And I thought it was, it did a really good job.
0: I like how you mentioned misconceptions about what we think we want. Um, the course starts with identifying all the things that we assume will make us happy, but studies suggest actually don't. What are some of those things, Julian?
1: You know, the the heavy hitters, money, work, having the perfect body, having the best relationship, good grades, especially for Yale students. That was a big topic of discussion from Lori. Studies, what Lori realized through her research, is that they actually do the opposite. You think you want these things, but you're no happier once you actually get them.
0: And and sometimes less happy. Yeah. I was really surprised by true love being one of those misconceptions. Looking at this idea that people think oftentimes that a relationship is going to make them happier But oftentimes the best that it does is bring you back to baseline, especially after you get married. Um, There's that like initial honeymoon period that I think we're all aware of. Um, And then it goes down from there. And sometimes it goes down from where you started (laughs) in your relationship.
1: Yeah. Well, I think Lori did a good job of setting up these misconceptions, explaining it. And there's also, she mentioned, the G.I. Joe fallacy.
0: Knowing is half the battle.
1: Knowing is half the battle. Like You can just, can't just can just know what's going to make you happy or what you think is going to make you happy. It's actually putting in best practices and putting in the work to be happy. But what you're saying about being surprised about relationships not making this necessarily more happy, it bleeds into annoying features of the mind, which is you get used to it. So after the high of being in a relationship is over, you get used to being married or in your relationship. So it's not necessarily that the person or the situation is making you unhappy. It's just that we're just designed to get used to things. And once something's not new and shiny anymore, we're not as interested or happy about it.
0: I do feel though that like, I, I know what she's saying insofar as she's reminding us that happiness doesn't come from knowing what, skills or things you could focus on that could make us happier like it does take work and sh- she calls that work rewirements this idea mm-hmm. that you're kind of rewiring your brain in order to be happier but i i still think there is something to at least find like having that information to begin with right like
1: oh well, yeah i mean
0: how much lo- how much longer could you be pursuing things that you think will make you happy having these misconceptions if you if someone didn't tell you or you didn't learn again knowing that those were misconceptions that actually looking at studies and she has multiple peer-reviewed studies on all these things Mm -hmm. um that with with all sorts of data that she loves to get into that show that just like julian said our minds get used to that stuff and so even if there's like an initial burst of happiness for all those things because they feel good immediately they don't have long-term benefits
1: yeah, I think you bring up a good point. You know, obviously having information available to you is important. I mean, we we see how so many groups of people or individuals are, are hurt by not having information readily available to them. They don't have access to the internet, or they, you know, they didn't, they can't read, or what it, what, what it might be, and they they don't have access to that information, so they have no starting point, point. and that's in my opinion is very detrimental. But I think it goes back to something that has become a more of a popular idea in, in recent years, which is that happiness is just like exercising. You have to put in those that effort and you have to find a routine that works for you. My only th- issue with that is if you're already in a place where you're feeling you know, depressed and whatnot, how do you get the engine started? So for example, one of my top strengths is social intelligence, which means that I can read a room and I know how to make people feel comfortable and good about themselves. Or I know when to reach out if someone's hurting, what have you, but let's say that I'm struggling. Well, putting out, sending a text might feel like walking up a mountain, you know? And so um, it's, it's one thing to know these, these things, but, um, if I know how to rewire myself, but how do I even get to the starting point? And that's something that I wish that she had talked about a little bit more. Um, because it's one thing to have all these strategies, but if you're, you're just in a place where they just seem so overwhelming, I, you know, that's just one thing that I wish there was a little bit more context on.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great point. I would have liked to see that too. And I do wonder if there was room for more discussion about the role of therapy or medication, which she does touch on a little bit, but doesn't really weigh in heavily one way or the other on those things, Mm -hmm. um, as potential ways to like you're saying kind of get that engine going if you are so low that you that even implementing a strategy like this or like both of us have self-regulation as one of our bottom strengths so <laughs> a lot of these skills take a lot of self-regulation and you really have to be on top of yourself and she does share some strategies for that in terms of goal setting but you're right i think there is something a little bit missing there around getting started if you are laid low how would that work
1: yeah for sure, and you know as she points out multiple times our our minds are, are our own worst enemies we're we're not wired i think to be happy if in the sense if we're if we're subscribing to the fact that our happiness is based on rewirement then our, our mind is our is our it's our biggest struggle, so one of the annoying features that we discuss is that our minds just get used to things. So whether it be a relationship or having money, we, we get used to it and it loses its luster. And, a, and a, one of the other things that I found interesting was that our strongest intuitions are usually wrong. So what we think we want is actually not what not what we want. We can think about it in the sense that we might have picked jobs or career paths What we thought we wanted, but they're not really playing into our strengths or what we're taught. They're what we're taught to want, and that could lead us on a whole, whole pathway away from our true selves. And how do we get back onto that path? Because that's another thing that I thought about too. Was like, sure, I could have been miswanting my whole entire life and not, not being be honest with that. But how do you get back on that, (laughs) that path when you're really deep into it? You know,
0: there is this thing where, yeah, we know that our minds can lead us astray and our intuitions can be wrong. And she's often apt to using a visual metaphor for that, which mm-hmm. which is those optical illusions. And you, and you know, right, after you're shown that, for instance, like one line is the same length as the other. It just looks longer because of the way the ends look or something like that. Your eyes can't help but see it anyway because they're built that way. And she says the same thing about the brain. I find that so frustrating, though, because... <laughs> you know, it, this idea that, like, I could still always be miswanting things, I could still always mm-hmm. be following intuitions that are totally wrong, as wrong as that visual metaphor or that that optical illusion. It's almost an argument for therapy. It's like, it's like, how do you know that unless someone takes you aside and you realize you're miswanting? The reason that we see that the optical illusion is, in fact, an optical illusion is because someone shows us that it is, right? Mm-hmm. Because they put a piece of paper on both sides and they take away the element that's confusing our brains, Um, But if you don't have someone doing that, how do you know you're miswanting it?
1: I think you just have to play big brother on your mind all the time and just have really honest check-ins with yourself and say, you know, like really get down to the point of it. And I think she brought up that issue when she was talking about one of the other annoying features of our mind is trying to measure ourselves against unrealistic reference points. Didn't she give a good, a good, good example of three Olympic, athletes winning medals. And so the bronze medalist is, you know, probably the, maybe the happiest because if he was one minute away from not getting that bronze, he wouldn't have been standing up there at all. But the silver medal is probably the unhappiest, athlete because they they would think to themselves, well, if I was one minute faster, I would have been at gold. So we're always judging ourselves by these reference points. And sometimes these reference points can be good because let's say we're judging ourselves based against someone who is maybe suffering in ways that we're not. But if you're judging yourself against people who in your frame of reference you think are doing better than you, you're going to be you know more unhappy. And then you have to really have check-ins with yourself and say, okay, well, is that a fair reference point? Am I being too hard on myself? Is that a realistic thing to judge myself on? And so you really have to have a lot of self awareness, I think, to succeed and to to be happy to begin with. You have to be someone who has dialogue, inner dialogues. And if you're not, that can be that can be tough.
0: I think the most interesting part of this entire class for me were her discussions around social comparison because that's something I find myself struggling with almost daily. This idea that you're not really comparing yourself against even your own benchmarks for yourself for what you want or what you feel like will make you happy. We're still often comparing ourselves with other people and basing mm-hmm. our happiness on what they have and what we don't have because they have it. Mm-hmm. Um, a really interesting uh, study she shared was this one where they gave people the option of making a choice. The choice is they can either make $50,000 and their coworkers make $25,000 so they make double what their coworkers make or they can make $100,000 and their coworkers can make $250,000 and most people picked that they make 50 which is hurting themselves right they could have $100,000 mm-hmm. a year but they're choosing to have less because within their social sphere they have more and yeah. so there's a way that we are actively working against ourselves in our own interests Just because of social comparisons, people who, another thing she shared, people who watch TV often think that everyone's making all this money, right? That everyone's all the, like everyone's rich, but that's just not the case. You only just see these extreme examples on television, like Kardashians. And if that's what you immerse yourself in, you start to think that's normal, right? You get used to that, or you think that that's what other people have. And the fact is that most people do not have that. (laughs) And, but then the end result and what really matters is that you feel bad about yourself for no other reason than this terrible social comparison, which isn't fair to you.
1: Yeah, you, I was uh, surprised by those statistics that you mentioned too. I, that was s- staggering to me, the, the money. Like how 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 we're willing to, <laughs> in, a, in a sense, hurt ourselves just so, we're, so people aren't doing better than this, and that's just wild.
0: So there are some strategies, though, that she shares to help combat these annoying features of the mind um, that we just discussed and that's where the rewirements come in. There are several strategies she suggests and maybe the first and most powerful in my own experience is gratitude. Mm-hmm. She asks uh people in the class to write a gratitude letter or keep a gratitude journal to be happier because studies show that when you express gratitude to other people, that actually makes you a lot happier.
1: Yeah, and I I thought that was interesting. I don't know if I the exact statistic, but that Practicing gratitude can actually lead to health benefits that you are more inclined to exercise more if you show more gratitude. And if you recall that statistic, but it's just interesting that gratitude is correlated also to physical health, that you feel better once you practice more gratitude.
0: I think it's all about perspective setting, right? Because when you're in an act of gratitude, you're actually realizing everything you have versus what you don't have. An example from today, it's we're recording this in its Teacher Appreciation Week. So I work with teachers (laughs) all the time. And so we did kind of like a a big group hug, like sharing what we appreciate about each other at a meeting. I feel great. I felt great all day just because I told two two coworkers what I appreciate about them. It's like such a simple, powerful thing. And it really is life-changing. I really want everyone listening to challenge themselves and think about the times that somebody has express sincere gratitude to you, especially in person, Um, how you feel about that person. When I think about people who have done that, I find that those are the people in my life that I'm the closest with and that I have a bond with that's almost unbreakable. And there's something life-changing about that and realizing that if you express more gratitude to the people in your life, you're actually forming more social bonds that will in turn, again, increase happiness. And I don't know, I, I really think that especially not just a journal where you're being grateful you're being um thankful for the stuff that you have and you're acknowledging it for yourself but i think 10 times more powerful is when you're really expressing that gratitude to others
1: yeah and i think the handouts that accompany the course are really helpful in outlining that for people so each rewirement exercise comes with a PDF worksheet that you can download, and each day you can write something that you're grat- grateful for, and every exercise has that sheet so you can see it tangibly, and that's what's another great thing about this course that I love. It's not just discussions and lectures. Lori encourages people to put it into practice and record their efforts down on paper, which is always great to see things written out. I think that's very helpful.
0: Another one of their rewirements is savoring this idea that you really take the time to appreciate the thing that you're enjoying, like fully be another way of putting this is, is mindfulness and being in the present moment, which we talked about in the show before, Mm -hmm. because your brain is actively always resisting that, right? You're when you do things a lot, you get used to it, you don't savor it. And so she really encourages everybody to savor stuff they enjoy. So let's say you're playing a game like really being in that moment and not letting other distractions seep in. A lot of people use social media and their phones to savor. So for example, I am at a beach and it's a beautiful sunset and I want to take a photo of it and share it. Now, sharing your experiences can be a great way to savor and to be mindful in the moment and to make that glass longer and revisit it later. But I really love that you pointed out that social media is not ideal for this. In fact, she suggests getting off social media altogether because it's harmful to other people and it goes back to social comparison. So when you're savoring something and you, sh- you share a photo of your Zoom call with all your friends and you're having mimosas on Zoom, that may help you savor that moment. But what you also run the risk of is people who are lonely in your feed and feeling that like they're mm-hmm. not getting acknowledged, they're going to see that photo on Instagram and think wow, that person has that and I don't and I feel bad about myself now. So there's always this kind of double-edged sword of savoring online where even if you have the best intentions and you're just sharing it because you enjoyed it and you just want to show people to share in your joy, there's a good chance it's actually a negative social comparison for somebody else and they're feeling left out.
1: (laughs) That's a good point. That just seems also like something that would ramp up my anxiety a lot. (laughs) Just thinking about all the unconscious consequences that you can have when you post something. Uh, but going back onto the topic of savoring, she also brought up a great point that if you take a step away and a break, a break from something, small little breaks, let's say you're watching TV and a commercial comes on, a commercial feels annoying in the in that moment, but they notice the studies have shown that you appreciate TV shows more or once, once you're back from commercial. So for example, if you're eating a sandwich, maybe eat half of it now and then save the rest for later. So taking those little breaks, you appreciate, <laughs> yeah, right. you appreciate. I know I mean, Matt and I truly, we,
0: <laughs> we gobble our food up we like little gobble. pigs. I, we really do.
1: I'm glad I, we share that some, that similarity because I, I noticed when I go out to eat with people, they take like a full hour or so to eat as soon as i get my plate it's gone i'm i'm enjoying oh no, yeah it.
0: i'm i i shovel that into my gob like it's <laughs> my
1: god yeah there's no even, tomorrow i don't even taste it i'm just <laughs> shoving it in but I, I, tr- I tried this past friday i like took a little nibble of sushi it's probably the most unsanitary thing you could do sushi like savor sushi probably not good but i would take like a little nibble <laughs> wait a few minutes take another little nibble and I was nibbling away and um, I don't know if I enjoyed it more, but it was nice to know that, oh, I still have some rolls left. It's not just, oh, I got them and five minutes later, they're all gone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jillian, you unlocked a memory for me, which is, and maybe this is the root to my um, horrible eating habits and the fact that I just inhale my food. I was in kindergarten and there was a day that we all got smiley face cookies. It was somebody's birthday or something. And you know, those are like really big sugar cookies that are like the size of your head when you're that age with a painted yellow smiley face on it. True to form, I gobbled mine up in two seconds, because that's, like, who I've been from the start. I've never lied about that. Um, (laughs) There was one girl in the class who nibbled at that cookie all day, (laughs) little by little. I'm talking about the tiniest little nibbles. Like, you would think a mouse was chewing on it. Not a human-sized bite. (laughs) Because three-quarters of that cookie was still there by the end of the day. And... I can't explain how irrationally that made me angry. I don't know if that was the social comparison factor, but I don't know if that is a reason why I eat food so fast now is like, I don't know, but it's been there from the start. You've unlocked that memory for me.
1: Memories. Yeah. Yeah, This Um, this
0: one girl, it's one of those things you look back and you're like, why did I care? Why why did that bother me? You know, but it did.
1: I mean, You were in kindergarten. And you self-regulate <laughs> your feelings, but I used to feel self-conscious about that, but you know what? At the end of the day, I want my food. I'm eating it. I'm going to have it. I'm I think I was, it. I think
0: I was, I think I was jealous that she still had her cookie. Oh yeah. and I didn't I'm, have it because I ate it so fast.
1: I'm sure. Well, she is apparently a pro in the act of savoring at age That's five. Right. I mean, <laughs> good for she's, her.
0: She's a savoring savior. Um, There are a bunch of other things you can do to kind of like fight those annoying features of the mind and part of the strategies towards being happier. Those include meditation, which we talked about at length in a recent episode. Exercise and sleep, both together, um, make you happier as well.
1: And acts of kindness. Uh, That's a big thing. They, They showed in studies that doing something kind for someone else is actually more powerful than doing something kind for yourself, which is really compelling because we're in this age of self-care. Like I just feel like it's beating the drum, self-care, 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 you know, and that's such a buzzword now, but she Lori brought up an example. Well, you know, I would get my get a pedicure to make myself feel better when I'm feeling down. And Studies show that if she actually paid for her friend to get a pedicure, that would make her happiness levels go up as opposed to getting one for herself. And that was interesting to me because I guess maybe self-care is just like taking a shot of happiness, but it's not long-lasting. But when you do acts of kindness, it's like sipping a glass of wine, savoring that kindness. It lasts longer. Exactly,
0: (laughs) yeah. And on that point, like she stresses that experiences, data shows that When you purchase experiences, that will make you happier than purchasing material goods or she Mm -hmm. calls it awesome stuff. So awesome stuff, you might think that that will make you happier, but really an experience, which oftentimes is because you can share that with somebody else, whether that's like a game or um, a trip or, you know, getting your nails done, things like that. Those are experiences that you can look back on and they last longer Mm -hmm. than a new pair of shoes.
1: Yeah. And you can revisit those experiences in your mind and relive it, which is also a happiness booster. And there's another interesting point of an exercise that she discussed, which is if something has lost its luster, let's say a a relationship, instead of thinking about how you met, you think about what all the ways that led you to meeting that person and how the odds of you guys meeting and what your life wouldn't would be like if you hadn't met which I thought was interesting so instead of just saying like yeah we met at a coffee shop you think about all the ways that led you to that moment so we can sit there and think about and experience it and really break it down and extract it and that will make us more happy more happy than yeah like buying a car for example
0: so Jillian did you feel happier after taking this class did you have results
1: Well, I will be honest in the sense that I blew through this course in in terms of reading and watching lectures because I I feel like I can digest information pretty quickly, but we didn't really do the 10-week where, okay, every day we're writing down what we're grateful for, every day we're doing an act of kindness. We basically summarized this course and I did bullet points, and so I did practice each point that she made, but I didn't do it repetitively in the course of 10 weeks because we didn't spend 10 weeks on it. But I did do little bits of her advice, which was savor. So, for example, when I watched the Parks and Rec special, I didn't have my phone out, and I always have my phone out when I'm watching TV. I just enjoyed it and felt the nostalgia, and that was really nice. When I got takeout, I was like, hey, instead of gobbling it down like a little monster, I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna put half in the fridge because I actually need to do that because it is sitting in front of me. I will inhale it. So I, after 30 minutes, I went back to the fridge and got my food, and it's very hard. But I did have a very enjoyable Friday night and I donated to a GoFundMe to help out a family and that made me feel, that did make me feel good. And then I reached out, I tried to play to one of my strengths, which is the social intelligence strength. So I made it a point to reach out to people I haven't talked to in a bit and just checking to see how they're doing during the pandemic. And so I think if I practiced those things consistently, I could see myself being more happier, but I, I'm the type of person who struggles to put a pinpoint on my feelings. I don't know if anyone else, like, I think I'm too much in my head where it's hard to say like, what is the emotion that I'm feeling? That's always so hard for me to ascertain. So, um, I'd be interested to see how it would feel after 10 weeks, but to make a long story short, I do feel a little pep in my step, as I say, just looking back and all the practices that I did. And then also I enjoyed learning again. So that was just a nice feeling for me every morning, waking up and taking the course, having a sense of purpose in a time where things feel so unmoored. That was nice. Maybe I need to take another course because my my, other strengths is curiosity. So instead of spending all night looking up what happened to you know on this weird weird case or what happened to this plane that that, crashed that's also your curiosity (laughs) (laughs) i I, like i go back to what i said i think this course has some great tangible practices because i hate reading articles and saying meditate it makes you happy it's like well what like (laughs) what could give me some more tangible exercises that i can do in correlation with some you know basis in science or what have you. I just hate hearing things like that, like self-care. Well, okay. Well, what, you know, I, I what do I really do? <laughs> should I, how much should I do this? I want instructions. I hate feeling just like I'm in a dark room in a, in a dark ocean, just trying to find a piece of land. Cause that's honestly what happiness feels like a lot of the times I want more concrete best practices yeah. and strategies. Sorry, go on a rant.
0: <laughs> oh no. I mean, I, I think that's all very true. And I, I experienced a lot of the same stuff and I also crashed the course as well. So I kind of feel like I can't speak to its efficacy because I didn't take it in the way it was meant to be taken, which is mm-hmm. one week at a time. I did it all at once. I gobbled it up. Like I do my food. Um, <laughs> I, I did not savor it, but I do feel like I'm way more reflective now And it has made me stop and think about some of my choices and um, ways I can use my time better and ways that actually I have changed some of my habits since uh, everything's happened with the shutdown and coronavirus that have been making me feel better and why that is. So it's given me some kind of perspective and reflection that I didn't have before. And I kind of want to retake it, to be honest, Mm -hmm. and go through much more slowly.
1: Yeah, me too
0: just so that I can actually try it. Because, again, I can't speak to, does this work? And, again, are you going to come out of this 10-week process of so much happier? And, honestly, I I suspect that even if I did do everything it was asking me to do, that would be a minimal change, right, after, Mm -hmm. well, I guess that is, like, two and a half months, so maybe that would be quite a change. But I I do think it is worth slowing down and, and savoring this class and taking the opportunity while it's here for free um and checking it out on Coursera.
1: Yeah, and we can check back in a few episodes later and see how it helped us.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I, if I have one little nitpick about the course, I do wish that the lectures were a little more spread out. Because yeah. I found in some weeks, you have like two and a half hours of videos to watch. And then other weeks, there are nothing. <laughs> and I kind of feel like it would be a little bit more focusing if it were broken down a little bit more. That was like one thing I kind of wish were, were there.
1: And if we're throwing around bones to pick, my bone would be that I don't think this is intentional, but I don't want to erase people who also need medication or use medication to elevate their happiness. That's necessary and needed. And I also think her statistic about, oh, you know, people are less happy now. Okay. That's true. But, and I know this was discussed through questions and elect the lectures and students brought this up as well, but perhaps it's just because we're more comfortable about discussing mental health than we were, let's say in 1960. So there's more instances of being people and more people being unhappy because it's actually comfortable to talk about. And I, it wasn't, it wasn't saying don't use medication. It's bad, but I don't know. I think there's some, I don't necessarily think jogging every day is like a cure. And I don't think they're, they're selling that that way. But I I just also don't want people to feel bad if they, if they can't do those things, they don't feel happier by doing these things.
0: Yeah. So definitely keep that in mind when you're looking at the class, but also take your time if you're deciding to do it and really do it one week at a time. I think you'll get a lot more bang for your buck.
1: Yeah. Bang for your buck.
0: Let's wind down. From our learning, we deserved a little treat. Let's savor some <laughs> soothing sounds. My soothing sound this week is from a band called Waxahatchee. Waxahachie is formed by the um, singer-songwriter Kate Crutchfield, named after Waxahatchee Creek in Alabama, where she grew up. And it's her acoustic music. And she just released a new album called St. Cloud. It's one of those albums. I think it's an instant classic. I'm going to go I'm out on a limb. I feel really strongly about it. Like front to back, this album is excellent. And I highly encourage everyone to give it a listen. It was really hard to pick one song that I felt like... Also, when you really love an album and you're like, what is the one song I can share with people that I feel like will really get them enjoying it and they're going to like it as much as I do? And I couldn't necessarily find that with any certainty, but I I did choose the song Can't Do Much, which is kind of this sort of pragmatic love song (laughs) where it's just sort of resigning, like, you know, I I love you. Um, I think about you all the time. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) It's unsentimental, but it's also very sweet in its unsentimentality. And let's take a listen to Can't Do Much by Waxahachie.
1: I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's, you know, it's an uncomplicated love song and you can't go wrong with that. You really can't.
0: The melodies are just so good. My favorite thing about her is her voice. It's just this, Mm. the tone she hits are just, I I don't know how she does it. It's like, I feel like I can hear two tones at once when she's singing. It's really pretty.
1: And she's evolved in a really cool way because just hearing her, her old stuff, I liked her, but it wasn't, I wasn't in in love with her, but her, her recent work has Really hit all the right notes for me.
0: So check out Waxahachie and her new album St. Cloud. Jillian, what song is soothing you?
1: The song that is soothing me this week is "Roses, Lotus, Violet, Iris," which is a long title by Haley Williams from Paramore. I discovered the song because she has boy genius doing background vocals on it, so I was curious oh, and cool. I listened. Yeah, I listened to the song and it was really, really, really beautiful. The lyrics are a female empowerment. She released it on uh, International Women's Day. It's from her solo album. It's going to be released on May eighth. Petals for Armor. She had to delay it because of the pandemic. I never really listened to Paramore, but I, I'm curious with her solo works. I really enjoy this song. I like the chorus, and I realize that maybe my cozy parameter for music, it's either really sad or really pretty, and I think this. Sounds really pretty, and that's why I like it.
0: So let's feel sad and really pretty and listen to Roses, Lotus, Violet, Iris by Haley Williams. Roses. I love the beat it's very it, it reminds me of songs i you never hear anymore like late 90s early yes, 2000s 90s alternative vibe. yeah it has like an alternative rock um element to it that i really enjoyed
1: yeah i, I got that vibe too and you know i i the background fo- vocals of course are really nice because boy genius is doing it but um I like Haley Williams' voice as well. It's just really beautiful and powerful. The lyrics are cool. And if you go into the the official video, it's this nice visualization of flowers changing and morphing. And it's it's, it's a cool video to meditate on on the topic of meditation.
0: And we have a bonus soothing sound courtesy of...
1: The kid's name is Jolie. (laughs) She's eight years old. I discovered this song lying in bed, scrolling on Twitter like, like a jerk, like I usually do, and it's so funny. Basically, it's this little kid make, who made a song about buttholes. And it genuinely is making me feel cozy. I listen to it a thousand times. I sing the song to my cats. It just makes me feel good. I love kids. So it also speaks, it feels that void for me. But um, yeah, it's about buttholes. So I'm not gonna give any other, other introduction other than it's about buttholes.
0: Here's Julie who always wants to know what's inside a butthole. What's inside
1: a book? that chorus is slapping well, here's my thing. I was thinking I've been thinking about this song a lot, and it really drives home for me the fact that how much each word means so much when you're writing or making a song because mm-hmm. if I was an adult writing this song, I would say, "I want to know what's in your butthole or I need to know what's in your, <laughs> I need to know what's in your no, I need to know what's in your butthole, but she says. I always want to know. And the always <laughs> makes it hilarious. And she's singing that chorus so fervently. I always want to know. I always want to <laughs> know. And that's the part that cracks me up. It's not even the astronauts being in the butthole. It's not about the aliens being in the butthole. It's about <laughs> her I always, always want wanting to know. know.
0: Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> she's on the bus. She's eating her mac and cheese. She's in the bath. She's <laughs> sleeping. She always wants to know. <laughs> And that's the part that that really gets me. Um, And I think we just need a laugh right now. And it makes me laugh. I sing it to Reese's and Snickers. Like, what's in your butthole? I always (laughs) want (laughs) to know.
0: I I think that might be a contender for coziest song of the year, for sure.
1: It really is. That chorus.
0: To wrap up, we actually have candles to review today. I should say that I finally, Jillian's been on top of it from day one. I finally stepped my game up. And we have homesick candles uh, to review, and I picked Chicago for, for my home, and mm-hmm. Julian has Long Island for her home. I also got mm-hmm. a New York City one, just because it, it sounded good, so I can talk about what that one smells like, too. The Chicago candle is described as, The Windy City is captured with the complex scent of rich chocolate carried by bursts of Great Lake air. I'm definitely getting chocolate. It's, it's, it really is just like a chocolate candle.
1: <laughs> I like the cold burst of air. That sounds actually like a very intriguing scent. Do you smell yeah. the cold air?
0: <laughs> uh, no, I smell the chocolate, and I think it reminds me of like the fudge chocolate candles from Yankee Candle, that kind of stuff. It's good. I like food scents, mm-hmm. so it's working for me. I like it. I don't necessarily feel homesick, though. I don't, I don't feel like this sh- captures Chicago, to be honest. Yeah, but it's but it's good. I like it.
1: Well, I didn't know chocolate was such a big part of Chicago's. They have history in chocolate or.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, there's like there are chocolatiers in Chicago that are local, like Fannie Mae. But, Mm. you know, I I think they're trying to get that kind of magnificent mile. Like the Chicago Mm. one is just very chocolatey and it's fine. But Mm -hmm. if you if you like a chocolate scent, you're going to get a good one with the Chicago candle. Jillian, you have the Long Island Candle. What's that one? Yes,
1: like? I do. Well, I don't have the description on hand, but I recall being very struck by it as it mentioned the Long Island Railroad, which, if you've ever been on it, no one would ever want that scent anywhere. <laughs> and I'm not being dramatic. It- <laughs> There is a specific scent, like if I was in a coma and you like put the Long Island Railroad, bottled it up and put it in front of me, I would probably like wake up and be like, where am I on the Long Island Railroad? It has a very specific scent, and I would not want that in a candle. The other description was cha-ching, credit cards.
0: <laughs> That's totally you.
1: <laughs> you know me. Cha-chinging all around town, swiping my credit cards left and right. I did not get those scents. I don't know what credit cards are supposed to smell like. I don't have many. I'm a poor you know, I'm a poor person. So, But this smelled like Febreze. So I guess in the sense of like I could hear Long Island Mom being like, we're having people over. Get out the Febreze. I could I could smell maybe that because it does smell like Febreze. This is a, that's a strong scent. That being said, I have been burning it all week long. Because it is not a offensive scent, it's just not a scent that I'd want to smell over and over again. Yeah. the The benefit of this candle, that I will give it points for. It has a great burn. It really burns strongly and it lasts pretty long. Because I I couldn't wait just to review it today. I was burning it, and it lasts very long. Strong flame, and you get your bang for your buck.
0: Yeah, I do think you these candles do last a long time. I will say that, and they burn very cleanly and evenly. So that's a great plus for them. I have to say the New York City candle is a star.
1: It smells
0: so good. It's described as the distinctive scents of spring days in Central Park, fine department stores, and concrete capture the energy of the greatest city on earth. And I think it's really more of that kind of like... mm, Eucaly- it's almost eucalyptus or like amber and incense mm-hmm. kind of scented. There's something with the department store thing. It does get that. It gets that kind of, you know, you're walking into like... uh Bloomingdale's uh, Ma- or... Macy's or whatever. And you're kind of you immediately hit with that kind of pleasant department store smell. But there's more going on to make it not cloying. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the New York City candle. That That is one, I will say, is worth getting, even if you don't have any sentimental attachment to New York City. So... <laughs> I I think like these candles, really, they've just gotten like marketing down, Pat, like people, they're an easy gift, right? Yeah. Um, Oh, I know you're from Chicago. Here's a Chicago candle. Oh, cool. You know, so I think these candles really are a coup in marketing. And I think that's honestly, their biggest strength is the nostalgia they inspire just by existing. But there are some of them like the New York City candle that I think are legitimately good candles and worth the money. Mm Um, but it is kind of a crapshoot and you kind of don't know until you try. (laughs) Yeah. Because they are an an online brand. Um, But I will say that it took forever for these candles to arrive, but I don't want to hold that against them because we are going through a global pandemic. So I feel bad whining about shipping delays when there's so much going on. So, but that is something that happened.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head where they do awesome marketing, so who, especially when they can't travel to the places that they love right now, who wouldn't want a homesick candle? But I think it goes back to... Nostalgia being rooted in specific memories, and of course, one candle just can't hit all those. Yeah, feelings. What you feel about a place, you know, what what your scent of Chicago and feelings about it is different than someone else might be. So, it's it's very subjective. But I will have to check out that New York City candle because that sounds lovely.
0: Yeah, check out the New York City candle. I would like that candle is like wick up all the way. Um, the Chicago one, I'd give half a wick to. I think overall, I feel like. You know, it's kind of like a, I, I, what would you say for the Long Island one, half a wick, no I would wick? I say
1: half a wick just because I don't particularly sure like the smell because it generally does smell like from bees. But I, I do love the fact that as soon as I lit it, that flame was blazing. It was a strong flame. Taking back to the Cozy Awards. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's not a dangerous blaze, right? You know, I have to call the fire department, but it's a nice, respectable blaze.
0: A two out of three ain't bad. Two, two weeks out of three. Yeah. We hope you're feeling happier. Have some concrete strategies for com- combating those annoying features of the mind. It's time to wrap up. I do want to shout out all of the amazing people who rallied and pushed us over 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. It, it really is kind of like been our own little milestone. and We've been looking forward to it for a long time. And, and you helped us get across that finish line. And now we have all these new reviews. So in the interest of savoring um, all the love you sent us and and the gratitude and and how it really did make us feel incredibly good and happy. (laughs) We're going to save some of these reviews for other episodes. In particular, the bonus cats episode, which will be coming at you next week, which you've earned... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a punishment, but I guarantee it'll be fun We're we'll talking about the Cats movie It'll come out next week So that you won't have to wait a whole two weeks for the new episode You earned us talking about the movie Cats So, first of all, thank you to C There's something about all those together I can't read it, but thank you all the same Who writes... Absolutely, amazingly cozy. This is my first time getting into podcasts in general. Due due to the pandemic, I have been trying to find different forms of entertainment, such as reading and podcasts. I just found the reading genre of Cozy Mysteries and typed it into the search bar with the podcast application. And now on on their new journey, um, they found this podcast and uh, continues. It's just what they needed for their stress and anxiety. Makes them feel warm and fuzzy, kind of like Christmas season and Hallmark movies. Another guilty pleasure. During such an uncertain uh, time of panic, it's just what I needed to feel cozy. I started with episode one. We'll be catching up. Thank you for this awesome podcast. I'm loving it so much. We hope you carry through to episode 75 where the shout out is. And then also thank you to BJ Robin who wrote Pleasant, Smart, and Fun. The hosts are personable, pleasant, smart, and fun. I've always said you're personable, Julian. Their guests are interesting and varied. Their podcast really opens up the world of cozy and more Betty. I've always argued for more Betty and more Betty's (laughs) delivering more Betty, warm and cozy more Betty writes, Matt, Jillian, and guests, two and four-legged helped me get through the Aww. week. The podcast is a warm cuppa on a rainy day. It's the warm blanket you needed to complete the experience. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, it's More Betty, sweet. and thank you to everyone who wrote a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be reading more of them soon, but we also want to shout out our amazing new Patreon subscribers.
1: Yeah, we have Katie Jungman, and we also have Miriam. Miriam, please give me your address when you get the chance so I can send give you... Give the address, a- Miriam. <laughs> a cute cute sticker and magnet also apologies to our some of our patrons i had to send out a little note in an envelope instead of our usual card because shipping's been delayed and i ordered new cute cards to send out so i didn't want to delay this the package so apologies if you got a little scribbled note i will send cute cards Now that I have them and also Stephanie Shizik, she was a new patron, Bonnie Robinson. And also thank you to Mark for joining me on words with friends,
0: a true friend with words,
1: A a true friend with words. And I had a joy playing with you and I'm, I'm on there guys. If you want to play with me, I'm still chugging along. Haven't won my first game yet, but I'm trying. And also, Happy birthday, Katie. Your birthday is on April 29th. wasn't sure if I should do it before or after. We gave you a shout-out on social media, and now we want to give you a shout-out on the actual podcast. So happy birthday. Happy birthday, Katie. Yes, you've been an awesome friend of the podcast, from giving great bar recommendations in Austin to just supporting us and being a patron. We love, love, love having you as a listener, and you're awesome. We hope you had a great day.
0: Yes, happy birthday. And thank you all who... Just listen to the show. We really appreciate you. There would be no show without you. We would just be two wackos talking into microphones at home. So we really do (laughs) need and appreciate you. We are grateful for you every day. Thank you for listening. And join us again next week. We'll, We'll be dissecting the movie Cats. Until then, stay cozy.